If you have Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 2. There are also pew Bibles in front of you. The text will be on the screen. And uh, we're going to look at John chapter 2 today. As I thought about some of my friends who are in the midst of even now starting recovery and, and looking at the future in light of Hurricane Florence's effect on the East Coast, on the Carolinas right now, I, I thought about what it takes to, for a city to rebuild, what it takes for a city to flourish, for them to have their intended future for a better future, and not just a city that's recovering from hurricane damage or flood damage, but any city. What does it take for a city to have a better future, a flourishing future? And not just a city, but what about a church? What does it take for a church to have its intended future, to, to do the things that God's calling it to and to flourish in the world? What would it take? And it seems like the answer that all those things have in common is participation. Participation, contribution, the, the citizens, the people, the members saying that we are going to do this and we're going to do this together. And you see that with hurricane relief and the first responders and citizens starting to pitch in. And I think if CPC is going to have the future that we desire for her to have, for us to have together in southwest Minneapolis and in the world, that it will require the people of CPC to participate, to, to contribute, to be committed to, to life together. And I don't just mean church work, though those things are important. I mean the work of the church, meaning the work of being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, of, of loving people, of loving our neighbors, of, of being a beautiful outpost of the kingdom here on the corner of 70th and 100 in Edina, that we would do the work of God in the world and participate in it. So last week, we kicked off a series we're calling BOLD. BOLD is just an acronym, four letters, four practices, four ways that we thought we would encourage you to participate in your faith in the world. And so we want everyone at CPC to be a part of extending the invitation that Jesus has made to us, to everyone, to imagine that if Jesus is transforming our lives, then we should desire that for others in our lives and in the world as well. And so we wanted to give you some tools, bold, just a set of tools to help you learn to extend the invitation. Last week, we started with the B, which was begin with prayer. And this is important because, as John said, prayer transforms us. It transforms our hearts. It transforms the way we see the world. And we know this is not a thing that we do on our own strength. This is a work of God in our lives and in others' lives. So to pray means that we are saying, God, this is something that you have to do, that we trust in you to do this. This is not just something of our own creativity or strength or capacities. But once we have begun with prayer... What's next? What is next? We thought the next tool on our journey would not be something that's outlandish, something that you would never do, something that's way far out there for you. We thought it would be something simple that you all do every single day, something that I take great delight in, eat. We thought we would encourage you to eat. The second practice is called open table, open table. We thought the best way for us to imagine extending Jesus' invitation to others is to invite them into our everyday lives. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, 
then inviting people into your everyday lives means inviting them into your relationship with Jesus. And for many of us, that should start with an invitation to the table. Now, by table, I mean that literally and metaphorically. Don't get hung up on the table. By open table, we simply mean that you would be intentional about including people in your lives. We think the table is a great metaphor, but also a great opportunity for you to make space to include people in your life. When we look at the Gospels, when we look at how Jesus treated people and loved people and spent time, what we see is that over and over and over and over again, Jesus has meals with people. He sits down at tables. He enters into their space or he invites them into his. He socializes and he parties. Jesus raises the bar on creating atmospheres of welcome and hospitality and inclusion. Not by extravagance. Not by having the perfect Magnolia Homes house. But by welcoming people and including them, he sat at their tables and he did it as a way of discipling people and inviting them to share his life. And what happened? People felt included. They felt loved and affirmed. They felt like by Jesus sitting at their table, he was showing them that they were worth the time of God. Jesus ate with the poor and he ate with the privileged. And when they sat at his table, they were loved. And so maybe God's calling you to open your table for people to see that they are worth your time and worth the time of God. To open your table just means to make space in your life to include those who God desires for you to love. So today, we're going to look at a text in John chapter 2 that is not actually about a table, and that's on purpose, because we didn't want you to get hung up on the table, but we want you to see that the point is that you would learn to extend the invitation of Jesus into the lives of those who you come in contact with. So John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now, pause right there. A wedding feast A wedding feast in Jesus' day would have been a week-long affair where the groom's family was responsible for providing food and drink and festivities for family and loved ones and friends and extended community in their town. So this is a week-long feast, and it would have been one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive, event of a family's life. If you've paid for a wedding recently, you can probably sympathize with them, right? And so, next verse, Jesus' mother was there, verse 2, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So I don't know what it was like in Jesus' day, but if you show up at a party and your mom's there, it just changes things a little bit, right? It just makes it a little weird. (laughs) If you've had that experience of showing up at a party and your mom's there, but we'll we'll imagine that in Jesus' day it was different. So Jesus' mom was there. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So I'll stop there and acknowledge that having been raised Baptist, this was always a weird text. (laughs) Didn't didn't know what to do with it. But seriously, this, this is a huge deal. 
there were huge social and even legal ramifications to this family for them running out of wine. So Jesus steps into a story where the wine has just run out and would have caused major panic and stress in the life of this family. And many of you are running into people every day at school, at work, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, people who, it's like the wine has just run out. And they're running on fumes and life is frayed. Some of us, it feels like the wine has just run out. So Jesus enters into a story where there is great need, where there is not abundance, but there is a lack of something to be provided. And Jesus enters into this story. And here's what he says. Verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, being raised as a good, respectful southern gentleman, I find this, I find this a little abrasive. It doesn't seem polite to Jesus' mom. However, let me assure you, let me assure you that in the original language, this was a term of endearment. The translation's just wonky. So it would have been a term of endearment. I promise. And then why do you involve me literally means in the Greek, what is this between us? Meaning, how, mom, how is this our responsibility? And he says, my hour has not yet come. And so in this story, what we see is Jesus addressing all of us who say, gosh, I don't have time to have people at my table. I don't even have a table. I don't like having people over. This is scary for me. I hear you. Jesus says, it's not my plan, but there is a need. And he responds to it. Jesus models that sometimes opening our table can be inconvenient. But let us not squander the opportunities and the blessings that we have been given to invite people to see the goodness of God. Verse 5. So his mother, Jesus' mom, says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So apparently she brooks no, no argument here, and no one who's had a mother would misunderstand what happens. <laughs> Get on with it. And uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. When they entered the place, they would have washed their hands. It says, nearby stood six of those jars, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So in this text, the author John uses this to do a subtle backhanded jab at the Jewish religious system. So when they entered into spaces, they had to wash their hands first as a ceremonial way of declaring themselves clean. And what he's saying is, don't get so focused on what it means to be clean, on what it means to look right in the eyes of everyone else that you miss the opportunity that God has for you, that God wants to do something and don't be so focused on keeping yourself attractive, clean, presentable in the eyes of everyone else that you miss out on God's call in your life. Verse 7, so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim and then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Let me just say, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the, the host of the banquet here because this miracle would have been lost on me because they all taste the same. No? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus' first miracle in the book of John is private. No one knows about it but a few people. And that should at least tell us that when we learn to open our table, when we think about what it means to make space for others to be loved by God, it is not about us. It's not. So we can set aside the need to make it about us and make it about them, make it about the thing that God is doing. Right? It calls us further into listening to the impromptu, spirit-led calls and beckons and wooing of the Spirit in the midst of our busy lives. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus creates an atmosphere of hospitality and he invites people to see that God is a provider and that God is good. And it might be that through your table that God wants to reveal his glory the same way he reveals his glory through the work of Jesus here in this text, that through your hospitality and your invitation, you might be pointing people to Jesus, that the book of John is known for being about signs that point people to Jesus, who Jesus actually is. And maybe God desires to use your table to point people to who Jesus is, that your table can be used to break down barriers and break down walls. Jesus sat at tables with sinners, those who were deemed unclean and unworthy by his society. He sat with tax collectors and with outcasts. He sat with the very religious people. He told a wee little man named Zacchaeus to come down from a tree because he was coming to his house today. Jesus sat with his disciples on the night before he went to the cross and he invited them and everyone else to see that it's not about what you've done or what you will do. It's about who you're in relationship with and you were made to be in relationship with God who made you. Jesus has made a way for you to sit at God's great kingdom table. And there's room for more that through his death and his resurrection, Jesus removed any barrier for you to sit at Jesus at God's table. And he sits there with you and he asks you to invite others to come and be a part of the table. Who does he want you to invite into your life? Once you've begun to pray, once you've prayed for people, then it's time to include them, to press ourselves, to open all the different tables in our lives. I have some examples of tables that have been meaningful for me and meaningful for us as a, as a community. And so when we lived in North Carolina, we had some friends that we did a monthly supper club with. It was casual. It rotated through our houses. One couple would host, we'd prepare food, and then we wouldn't have kids. We would just sit at a table for hours and enjoy company and good food and drink 
And this was our friend's backyard. They had a little farmhouse on the edge of town, and they would transform the backyard to this beautiful space where we would just sit around. And, and what I'm reminded is sometimes good hospitality transports us to different places. It helps us to leave behind the junk of the world for a while and to be present with each other and to listen to stories and to pray together and cry together and to learn what God is up to, right? Sometimes good hospitality sets us up in a different state so that we can be honest and vulnerable and love and care for people. This past weekend, we had an event just a week ago where we opened up CPC's property. We had no real agenda, just come to campus, hang out, enjoy time. We had food trucks and student bands playing and played some bingo and cornhole and other type of games outside and really just enjoyed life out on the patio. Hundreds of people came, CPCers, non-CPCers. It was a great time. What we see is sometimes an open invitation helps us to see a different side of people and helps others to see a different side of us. This past winter, we got invited to go up north to a, a thing called Family Fest, winter weekend. That was a, an extended weekend, long uh, retreat with a bunch of families. And Ashley, my wife, and, and our kids went up, and we didn't know a lot of the families. Some of them we barely knew. And we were blown away at how these families, who have busy lives and have lots of relationships and people to catch up with, made space for us. Over the course of a weekend, they let us sit at their tables. We had great conversation. They welcomed us. They made our kids feel welcomed. And it was just an amazing experience that, that sometimes hospitality means that those who already have very full lives are gracious enough to make space for just a few more. And then right across from where we're sitting right now, there's a group called Mosaic. We have a ministry to special needs teenagers and, and young adults. And, and Mosaic is having a meeting right across in the Westview. But at Thanksgiving, they meet downstairs in the fellowship hall and they set up one long banquet table. And they all eat together and they talk about what God has done in their lives and what they're thankful for. And what we see is that everyone, everyone is deeply loved by God and deserves a seat at the table because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Let me just close by saying this. I know that opening your table is impossible. I know that you can't do it, that it does not work for your lives. It's hard. And yet, we're going to ask you to try anyways. I'm going to ask you to try, to try and open your tables, to work at it, to flex, to build those muscles, to take baby steps and invite people to sit at the table with you, not out of guilt, out of love, out of love because you've seen them with the eyes in which God has seen you to make space at your table, to make space at your lunch table, your dinner table, your coffee table, your study table, whatever your table is, will require intentionality and it will require work. But how can we introduce people to the Jesus who loves us and loves them if we cannot introduce them to ourselves? How can we love people if we cannot make time for them? And I fully get it. We are not called, each and every one of us, to make time and space for everybody. Jesus did not heal everyone, and Jesus did not feed everyone. But there is someone or some people who God is calling you to care for and to love, to bring into your space, into your table. Who is God calling you to open your table for? Our text today was about God 
in Jesus turning water into wine, taking something ordinary like a table and using it for something beautiful. That the God who desires to transform your life also desires to transform the lives of others. And so when God wants to do something in your life, can you make space for it? And can you make space at your table to sit with others and invite them to see that Jesus is transforming your life and that he desires to transform yours? Invite others in and just let them sit at your table with Jesus. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus who makes a way for us to sit at God's table. We thank you for the many blessings in our lives. We thank you for those of us who have been following Jesus for years and who are wrestling with what it looks like to extend the invitation. And I thank you for those who are just curious about Jesus that they would lean into your grace and trust that you are capable of caring for them and leading them in life where they need to go. God, we thank you for this church family, the blessing that it is. May we spur each other on to pray for others and to open our tables that they may see the goodness of God all over our lives. We love you and praise you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen.